Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Welcome to Tuesday Night Torah Study. Let me open in a word of prayer, okay? Father God, thank you for the, the good day we've had. Thank you, for the, thank you for taking care of us. Remember our countrymen down in Texas and ask that you just look after those people and help them as they're trying to figure out how to deal with 50 inches of rain. I thank you, God, that we found time in our schedules to come out and uh, look at your Torah, and I'd ask that you'd bless our conversation this evening. It's a particularly interesting and uh, thoughtful portion that we're looking at, and I know that we can all uh, learn a little more about how you'd like us to behave, about how you want us to interact with you, God. And I just thank you for loving us, and I thank you for your Torah. In Yeshua's name, amen. So tonight... As Lisa was saying, I was, I'm excited. We're doing Balaam, the, the story of Balaam. We're in Numbers. It's Numbers 22. Um, last week, we kind of, <laughs> probably lame, but I tried to do a little teaser, and we read a little bit about what was going on so we'd know um, who the actors are in this whole thing. And so does anybody, has anybody looked at this beforehand and, and talked about our uh, any thoughts about Balaam before we start or about the whole story? We're going to go through it line by line and item by item just to make sure we get. What I found, is that me that's doing that? How do you suppose I'm doing that? I'm sorry, by the way. Quit it. I'm not doing anything unusual. Um, what? Do you want me to move it? That way? Okay, fine. There. Is that better? Okay. Okay, let's see. So, <clears throat> Numbers 22. Uh, the Israelites have gone around to Edom, and they've, uh, they're heading up. I forgot to bring a map, but they're heading up the... Uh, yes? Bring it down a bit? Okay. Just like that. Okay. Okay. Um, they, they, they've gone around the east side of Edom and up north toward the north end of the Dead Sea. And they've had, we've already talked about, uh, they engaged in battle with the Amorites, um, Og, uh, the kingdom, uh, the king of Bashan and Heshbon. I forgot, the Sihon. Sihon, the king of Og. Well, anyway, let's see. I'll get them right here in a minute. i go back and look at it. Sihon, the king of the Amorites and uh, in Heshbon, and then also Og, the king of the Amorites, and someplace else. But anyway, they defeated the Amorites. The reason this is important is because the Amorites have been around there kind of being aggressive and uh, adventuresome, and they defeated a lot of the Moabites, and they took over about half the Moabite land. And there's a, a river that runs from the east to the west and falls into the Dead Sea, called the Arnon River, and the Arnon River is now the border at this time. It's the border between the uh, Amorites to the north and the Moabites to the, to the south. And 
having been there, you can get up on these, these flat mesas, these uh, kind of plateaus, and you can just see for just miles and miles, you know. And so what's happened here is the king of Moab, I'm sorry, the king of yeah, Moab, who has uh, already been through a pretty serious defeat from the Amorites, now sees all these Israelites camped down there in this valley. And he's seen what they've done to his enemies, the Amorites, and he's not the least bit comfortable with this. You know, as Mark was saying the other day, there's probably four or five million of them down there, and he's, he's scared. And so let's read about what he does. We'll start in chapter 22. Um, I'm going to read for a little bit, and then I'll let you guys read in a minute. Because we did this last week, so it's kind of a review. Uh, the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Okay, um, Jericho's at the north end of the Dead Sea. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that they, all that the Israelites had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. And the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And so Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, the son of Baor, who was at Pethor, near the river, in his native land. Let's stop there and talk for a minute. So, everything I'd said about Balak, Balak was the king of Moab. He was scared. So who did he go to? Balaam. And it says, Balaam, um, the son of Baor, who was at Pethor near the river. Do you know the river, what that river is? John? No, but I have an idea that he is a, an Edomite, based on my research that I did really? a while ago. Okay. No, I don't, but I don't know what the river is. Okay, the, um, the common thought there is that the river, whenever the Torah uses the river, it's usually the Euphrates. Um, so um, most people think he's... Uh, his, uh, his home was up in Assyria, if you will, Syria, today Syria. Uh, and they sent these, uh, Balak sent some uh, messengers to summon Balaam. Now, uh, one of the interesting things about Balaam is, historically speaking, not only do we have several mentions of him in the Bible, he's mentioned in the Quran. He's mentioned by Josephus, and there's a lot of extra-biblical references to Balaam. And all of them give him the same sort of uh, recognition, if you will. He was well-known at the time for practicing the, you know, the magical arts and for casting spells. That's what he, he was known for it. He, you know, the, like if you want, if you want some, somebody cursed, go see Balaam. He knows how to do it, kind of a thing. So, Balaam has made his living and whatever seems to be pretty good at this because he's, uh, he's famous. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Did you so mention Peter? Beg your pardon? Did you mention Peter? Well, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Um, starting in verse 5. He sent messengers to summon Balaam, the son of Beor, who was in Pethor near the river in his native land. And Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. 
Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. So that's a little of a, you know, he obviously believes the PR and the advertising that Balaam has done. So the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. So these elders of Moab and Midian. Midian, does anybody know where Midian is? Are they kind of scattered? Yeah, they are kind of scattered. The home of the Midianites was south. It was uh, quite a bit south of here. Um, that's, you know, Moses' father-in-law was Tucson? a priest of Midian. So it's probably uh, more in the, in, in the Saudi Arabian, in the Arabian Peninsula than this is. What did you say? You said south of here, so I said Tucson? Tucson, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the Midians were kind of distributed among everybody in Moab. And so they got some um, dignitaries, elders they're called, of Moab and Midian, and they left, and they took with them the fee for divination, which evidently was a standard thing. You know, uh, um, Balaam did this enough that he had a fee. So they took the fee, and they went with him, and they went to Balaam, and they told him what Balak had said. And in verse 8, he says, Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you back the answer that Yahweh gives me. So the Moabite princess stayed with him. And God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country for Yahweh has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. What does is, what is this kind of imply to you about Balaam's relationship with God? What do you think? Well, I was thinking he doesn't really take God that seriously. Well, he obviously has a relationship with him, though. He has he? a relationship with him, yeah. He does have a relationship mm -hmm. with him. And for his credit, he, he never did say anything that wasn't true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, let's, what I want to do as we go through this story is examine Balaam's relationship with God. Right. Because he clearly believed, I, you know, the word we use too often is in, right? He believed in God. Right. He but did. he had some sort of a relationship with him, and, and God talked to him. Right. Right. And God, and the other thing is, God listened to him sometimes, or, you know, he, let it, he allowed him mm -hmm. to. Well, he, I think he listens to most of us. <laughs> John? Was it a, a convenient relationship, or whatever is convenient? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> especially financial? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where we're going, of course. So. Verse 15, then Balak sent other princes more numerous and more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, the son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, 
I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of Yahweh my God, it says. That's verse 18. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else Yahweh will tell me. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, you go with them, but do only what I tell you. So, what does that look like on the face of it? Do you suppose God changed his mind? He says, well, you know what I told you last time I've thought about it and I've changed my mind? Probably not. That doesn't sound like God, does it? So, you know, what, what are some of your thoughts? Well, I think he realizes what's in Balak's, Balak's heart, that he wants the money. Balaam. Balaam, I'm sorry. You're right. And so he's like, well, God is like, I would use this to my advantage like I did Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have some, Jan? Because Moses, I'm mad at Moses. Don't forget about that. <laughs> who, who had a question? Did somebody else have anything to say? Um, and Aaron's dead, right? Yeah. It could be, I mean, my analysis after having looked at this a while is that um, when God said no the first time, that was the answer, right? So him coming back the second time um, is obviously, I mean, it, from God's perspective, is like what part of no don't you understand, right? And so we don't have any trouble figuring out why he went back the second time. Well, isn't it kind of like a new deal? Because he said no. He yeah. did what God said. Mm-hmm. He told Balak what he did. Yeah. And Balak says, well, let's up the anarchy and yeah. let's do a, a new contract. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, from Balaam's point of view, this is a better deal. So he said, okay, God, I was okay with you turning down the first deal, but this is a better deal, you know? So let's talk again, kind of a thing. <laughs> Charlie? John, what did you, I mean, Jerry, what did you mean by that? Uh, on 18, about that, even Balaam gave him silver and gold. What that uh, meant by that? Well, what he's basically saying, this, yeah. is, this is Balaam's way of, uh, of saying, well, you could pay me lots and lots of money, and if God tells me I can't go, I still can't go. I mean, just imagine how much money you could pay me. Just, you know, throw a number out, big old numbers. I still couldn't go if God told me not to go. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And so that's what he's basically saying. If he gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, and God said, no, I, I couldn't go. But... You know, the, the thing you've got to realize is Balaam's over here basically, well. He's negotiating. He's, yeah. He's negotiating on his behalf, Balaam's behalf, right? So anyway, so God, I think John's analysis is just right on. God basically looks and says, oh, boy, you know, this guy, <laughs> this guy, this guy doesn't care much about me, but I know how to use him for, to accomplish exactly what I need to get done here, much like Pharaoh. I think too, God. You know, God isn't overwhelmed. He thinks he's probably going to let Bilam dig his own grave. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's like okay, sure. you want to sure. act like that? Okay. This fine. is a, this is a great story. You know, as we move through it, the, the humor is is outstanding because yeah. you can see old toward the middle there. You can see Balak just you know gnashing his teeth and spitting nails because what he's he's paying this guy big bucks to come over and curse the Israelites, right? Um, so anyway, that's where we left off. Um, so 
now he's basically got permission from God to go, but he says, you only say and do what I tell you. And Balaam says, okay, I'm all right with that. So now we're in verse 21, and we'll have somebody else read. John. Where does it say, in the, like in the New Testament, not to worry, I will put the words, at the proper time, the words in your mouth? Yeah. That's kind of what they say, he said to uh, Balaam, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He says, he says, but do only what I tell you. But as we, as we move along, and Balaam, Balaam, as you point out, to his credit, he's honest with Balak. You know, and he says, well, I can only say what God lets me say. So let's go on. Would somebody like to read from verse 21 down through verse 35? Okay. Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his she-donkey and went with the officers of Moab. God's wrath flared because he was going. And the angel of Yehovah stood on the road to impede him. He was riding on his she-donkey, and his two young men were with him. The she-donkey saw the angel of Yahweh standing on the road with the sword drawn in his hand. So the she-donkey turned away from the road and went into the field. Then Balaam struck the she-donkey to turn it back to the road. The angel of Yehovah stood in the path of the vineyards, a fence on this side and a fence on that side. The she-donkey saw the angel of Yehovah and pressed against the wall. It pressed Bilam's leg against the wall, and he continued to strike it. The angel of Yehovah went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn right or left. The she-donkey saw the angel of Balaam and crouched beneath Balaam. Balaam's anger flared, and he struck the she-donkey with the staff. Hashem opened the mouth of the she-donkey, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you strike me these three times? Balaam said to the she-donkey, Because you mocked me. If only there were a sword in my hand, I would have now have killed you. The she-donkey said to Balaam, I am not your she-donkey that you have ridden upon all your... Am I not your she-donkey that you have ridden upon all your life until this day? Have I, have I been accustomed to do such a thing to you? He said, no. Then Hashem covered Balaam's eyes, uncovered Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of Yehovah standing in the road with his sword drawn in his hand. He bowed his head and prostrated himself on his face. Which verse did you want me to go to? 35. Okay. The angel of Yehovah said to him, For what reason did you strike your she-donkey these three times? Behold, I went out to impede, for you hastened on the road to oppose me. The she-donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. Had it not turned away from me, I would have... I, I would... I would even have killed you and let it live. Balaam said to the angel of Yehovah, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing opposite on the road. And now, if it is evil in your eyes, I shall return. The angel of Yehovah said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak to you, that shall you speak. So Balaam went with the officers of Balak. Okay. 
You know, but, it's interesting that he doesn't even think it's odd that the she donkey's talking to him. Well, I was going to say, that's, yeah. The, the thing is, is what Balaam does for a living is uh, he consults and consorts with, uh, you know, spirits, with demons and whatnot. And he knows how to, to call them up, and he knows how to get them to do certain things, you know, and he's, he's, he's uh, experienced in this. And so when, uh, I'm, I, I'm sure he was a little surprised when the donkey talked to him. But on the other hand, if he was in a fit of anger and him being accustomed to this kind of stuff, he might not have been, you know, had the wherewithal to think, boy, this is strange. I mean, you know, he basically answered the problem. But when he saw the angel of the Lord, I mean, he clearly, what does it say? He said he, uh, he bowed low and fell face down. So I think maybe this was a little bit bigger than he was used to. You know, he was used to kind of making things happen in the spirit realm with some of his incantations or whatever it was that he was doing. But this one might be a little bit bigger. I don't know. Yeah. Where does it say that he spoke to other demons? It doesn't say that. I'm just telling you that this is the kind of man Balaam was. He had a history of being able to cast spells. He must have had some history of doing that. He was known throughout the world in places other than the Bible for having that capability. How do you think he did that? That, you know, like, I could be wrong, but I rather doubt it. The, I guess my point is, is all of this, while the interaction with Yahweh might have been new, the general attitude, the general flavor of what he was doing was what he did for a living. Right? Joshua 13, 22, mm -hmm. um, Virgie, says that Balaam was a soothsayer. Soothsayer, yep. Joshua. Joshua 13, 22. And I also noticed that he's, um, Israel, uh, he was known for slaying with the sword. So it's no surprise that he turned to the donkey and said, if I had a sword, I'd, kill I'd do what I usually do. Yeah, yeah. So um, I admit it doesn't say it right here, but I don't think that's a, an unreasonable supposition. Uh, anyway. Sure, sure. And I guess what he said was, you know, when, when Balaam actually, when um, God uncovered his eyes and he saw the angel and he saw what the donkey had been putting up with, you know, he was probably pretty amazed. And then, don't you just love what the angel said? <laughs> he, says, he says, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? And <laughs> it was just so funny because essentially the same conversation that Balaam had with a donkey, the angel had with Balaam. Hilarious. Yep. So in 22, where it calls, it calls the angel of Yahweh an adversary. In 22, it calls. He's an adversary to. Where does it say that? Verse 22. Where? Read. Can you show me where the well, word I'm is? I'm looking at it in. in the, was kindled anger and God because, because he went, he stood in the angel of Yahweh in the way for an adversary. For an adversary. Okay, this says to oppose him. So oh. it's the same thing. Okay. The Hebrew, mm -hmm. les Satan. Ah, ah, that's the adversary. How about that? So we can put make that into a noun and say, oh, that's always the bad guy. Yeah. Yep. But as a verb, it's, you know, that's what, that's what it is. It's mm -hmm. les Satan. Mm -hmm. Yep. He was he was Satan to Balak. Yep. He was an adversary to yep. Balak. 
um, I, this is me talking, but this last down here, when, uh, at verse 33, the donkey saw me, this is the angel talking, the donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her, which I think is, like I say, that just cracks me up. Then Balaam said to the angel of Yahweh, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. What do you think about that statement? John. Well, a couple of, he doesn't even go into, wow, you were, were, you were there and I didn't even, you know, the, he wasn't amazed. He just said, oh, okay. Like he kind of, oh, there are spirits and sometimes I can't see them and sometimes I can't. Yeah. But I, can we go back to the dialogue between the yeah, donkey yeah, yeah, and yeah. the... Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that for sure. So he beats the donkey. Godway speaks to the donkey. He's not amazed by that. No. <laughs> he carries on a conversation with the donkey. He gets into a, a dialogue with him, and the donkey outreasons him. Yeah. <laughs> he says, did I ever do anything like this to you before? Yeah. So have I been known to act like this? Yeah. Who is the... <clears throat> A double S in this yeah, whole story. Yeah, who's the, who's the donkey in this whole story? But I, I don't know. Again, this is just me talking. But I think the, I can see him when he says, "I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing on the road to oppose me." Now, if you are displeased with me, I will go back. Part of that could just be him placating God. I'm sure there was some of that. But part of it could be that, oh, this is new territory. Before you know, I haven't been quite here before. Maybe I'm in over my head. Maybe I should call this whole thing off. Um, but God reaffirms. He says, no, no, I got plans for you. <laughs> He's basically saying, no, go ahead, but you can't say anything that I don't give you to say. I got your attention now. Yeah, I got, yeah. You know I'm really here kind of a thing. I'm really into this, or in this. So are there any th other thoughts you have about that? The story of Balaam's donkey is just great. Yes. Uh, some people might see those words, I have sinned, and think that he was repentant. Uh-huh. But I do, he was not repentant. No, he wasn't. Acknowledging um, you're in error is not the same thing as being remorseful. Sure. As a matter of fact, uh, to kind of let the cat out of the bag somewhat, the problem Balaam has is while he recognizes God's existence and even has put some effort into to knowing who he is, he has absolutely no intention of following him. Mm -hmm. You know, he has no intention of submitting himself or obeying him. Mm -hmm. He just wants to make sure that he can manipulate him the way he manipulates the other demons and gods that right. he is involved with. Right. And so that, that's, to me, whenever it talks about in Revelation, you know, the sin of Balaam, that's what it is. It's whenever you think that you can manipulate God and make him, you know, mm -hmm. do what you want him to do. Boy, if there's one thing God's not going to have, it's that. <laughs> so anyway, um, the angel says, no, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So let's see, does somebody want to read from verse 30, are there any other questions about that? From verse 36 in that chapter. Yeah, just to the end of the chapter. Just a few verses. We'll see mm, when Balaam heard that Balaam had come, he went out to greet him at the Moabite city on the border of the Arna, Arnon. 
the frontier of the territory. Balak said to Balaam, didn't I send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really unable to reward you? Look, I have come to you now. Balaam said to Balak, can I just say anything? I must speak only the message which God puts into my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath Huzoth. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and sent some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. In the morning, Balak took Balaam with him to Balmoth Baal. And from there, he saw part of the people. Okay, this is an interesting little exchange here. So finally, you know, after the drama with the donkey, uh, they, they get to, to uh, Balak. Um, it says, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. That's very specific. The Arnon River, like I say, flows from the east down the hill and directly west and into the Dead Sea. And so they came from the north. This is part of the reason I think that uh, Balaam was from the north. He, they came from the north and they got to the, to the Arnon River and crossed it. And right there on the Arnon River, Balak went out to meet them. And Balak, it, it, I mean, as much as says, he was, he was kind of hacked off, right? He, uh, the first thing he says is, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Now, Balak is the king, right? I mean, he's, of, of the, the Moabites may not be anything to write home about, but he's, they're all his, you know, and he's, he's arguably at least as an important person as Balaam is. What's Balaam say? Well, I'm here now, right? So, so no big deal. And <laughs> go on, John. So what is he, in his panic, what is he, what is he, what is he showing? What is he, what is the, his reality? Balak? Yes. That's a very good question. What do you think? There's 600,000 men here to kill me, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, do yeah. me harm. Yeah. And you're out, I don't know what you're doing, Balaam, but you're not yeah. doing what I told you to or want you to do. Yeah. So he's a little flustered and he's panicky. Yeah. And, and he's irritated. You know, he's, I got tons of money. Why in the heck didn't you come when I told you to? It's kind of his attitude. Yeah. No, no, they want him. They're not going to hurt him. But the point is, is he was, I, what I'm trying to say is, Balaam was not the least bit intimidated by Balak, right? Balaam thought, you know, I'm here, get off my case, kind of a thing. It was like, I don't, you know, don't give me a hard time about this. <laughs> no, that's a good way to put it. Hello? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I don't know what is the, the Moab people are sick and scared for the Israel people get around. But they receive a command for, for the Lord. They say, the Lord rest Moab and provoke them to war. For I will, for I will, I will not give you any of their lands or your territory. This reason is, I have again, I have a given are to the descendant of love of their possession. You know, this is in Deuteronomy 2, 2, 9, 17. 19. Okay. 
the people of Moab, they be scared because they know Israel is strong, but they don't know have a reason they attack them, but they're in panic. Well, they don't know that. They're called, they don't know them, yeah. but I, they got lo, know that. Yeah, yeah, um, you're, you're right. That's, and it, it comes out from the beginning because all they ever said was, we just want to go through your land. That's all they wanted to do. So uh, the Moabites were scared, but your point is, is probably without reason. Yeah, um, and the Balan is a, a powerful people. The curse is like a priest. Um, they call him because they know the, the, when they, he curses the people, they think coming true because, you know, this kind of priest working with the evil and they got a power. Yeah. And they call him, but uh, they say, is no live move? Is, is God don't give you permission? You know, everything is movies because he wanted. Yeah, but... You're right, of course, but there's no way that the Moabites could have known any of that. Yeah. Yeah, we know it, and we know it for two reasons. We know it because of the Torah, and we know it because we look back and study it. But he didn't have either one of those, right? It was, it was happening in real time for him. You know, in my opinion is um, all people around the territory, uh, the Lord give it to Israel, they are all descended from the... Uh, from the other relati rel related for Adam, because this is descendant for Lord. Lord is a, a nephew or Abraham, and our people around are relatives. But the enemy work in their souls and the human being to put each one versus another one, you know. Yeah. And we can understand when we be holy, we live in peace. We don't need a war, but uh, we are still sleeping. We need a wake mm -hmm. to know my neighbor, maybe it's my relative, blood relative. We don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Lisa has something yeah. there. Don't make John. Well, I think over. Israel still. I think Israel still intimidates everybody. I mean, not, they don't mean to intimidate because they're nice people, but the trouble is, is that they know. They know that, I think, that the countries surrounding Israel, they know, like Jordan, they know that that land is really Israel. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? I know exactly they, what they you're saying. They know exactly what's what yeah. going on, yeah. and they don't want that to happen. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you know, you're saying. You know, it's the same old, same old. Yeah. When we were living in Jordan, doing our thing, uh, there were more than one Muslim who would come and be extremely curious about what we're doing. And they as much as said, you know, we know you guys know what's going on, and we want you to tell us. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. John. Well, I think the threat is to the kings, not so much the people. The people, the, it's the threat to his authority over the kings. That, that's a very good point. That, that's, yeah, he's, not only will he, he might lose his country, but more important than that, he loses position. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Yeah. So Balaam basically says, okay, look, I'm here now. Get off my back. And then he goes on to say, this is in verse 38, but can I say just anything? I must speak only what, and I guess the word's got to be Yahweh there because it's God. Maybe it's Elohim because it doesn't say the Lord. He said, I must speak only what Elohim puts in my mouth. So in other words, he's, he's putting on warning. He says, I'm here but I can only do what I'm allowed to do. Now, one of the things, well, let me, let me read this last thing, and then let's talk about this. 
then Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath Huzoth, and Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. And the next morning Balak and took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he saw part of the people. I want to talk about verse 39. They sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave Balaam, some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. Who do you suppose they were sacrificing these animals to? Somebody other than Yahweh? Well, I, th I don't know. I would think so. I mean, the only guy around, the only guy in this group that had any understanding of Yahweh at all was Balaam, and he wasn't the kind of a guy that was likely to care much. <laughs> right? So what verse? This is verse 39. What verse were you talking about where he puts the word oh, in the his verse, mouth? verse above it, verse 38. He says, I must speak only what? 38? I, 38. I, uh, this is... Balaam's reply to Balak after Balak says, couldn't I have paid you lots of money? He says, I'm here now. Then he says, but I can only speak what God puts in my mouth. Yeah. Okay. What chapter are we on? <laughs> 22. Oh, I moved to 23. Why did I do get, that? Get, get with the program there, John. I'm speeding up. Anyway, do you want to discuss a little bit more about who they were sacrificing this, these animals too. What do you think? Go ahead. He'll bring you the microphone. Well, it wasn't to uh, Yahweh because um, Balak didn't believe in. Evidently, he didn't because yeah. he was against Israel. Yeah. So it must have been a foreign god. Yeah. Well, yeah. you can imagine. Number one, um, if Balak knew of. Yahweh at all, he only heard about him because, you know, the Yahweh had revealed himself to the Israelites. He hadn't necessarily, he hadn't necessarily revealed himself to Balak and the Moabites. And number two, he was more, naturally enough, he was more concerned about this huge mass of people down there sitting around doing nothing, uh, and, you know, that have already proven that they can conquer people if they want to. Uh, he's more worried about that than... Uh, whoever their God might be. He's, you know, he's basically, as John talked about earlier, he's in a state of panic and he's grasping at straws. Uh, I think it might have been a good time for him to be interested in the God of the Israelites, but he doesn't appear to, I don't think so. You know, this is almost like Eliyahu and the prophets, you know, when he did the mm -hmm. water well, yep. on the thing, because I was thinking, it suddenly struck me how similar it is in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. okay, go ahead and do your sacrifices yeah, yeah. and see where yeah. that gets you. Yeah. Um, in a verse, let's see, chapter 22, verse 39, it mentions that he took them to the high places of uh, Baal. Yep. It doesn't say that they made the sacrifices there, but they went there. That's so true. one would think that if they're at the high place of Baal, it's possible that they made sacrifices there. Now, what comes to my mind is a lot of times people look at Yahuwah, our religion, as a genie in a magic lamp. Yep. Anything that works for me, I'm good. Yep. And so whether it's interfaith, whether it's mixing this with that, truth with false. Mm -hmm. I see a little bit of that here because mm -hmm. he certainly knows how to call upon Yehovah, Yep. but he also is working to do whatever he can yeah. 
to make whatever he wants happen. That, that's a fair point profit. because, yep, they, what, they're, what you're basically suggesting, I think, is that, you know, um, might, they might be in the mode of, look, I don't understand all this stuff about God or gods, but we're going to make this sacrifice, and to all you gods up there that are listening, this is for you kind of a thing. Could very well be that. Yep. Yep. You got other gods that are doing this. Let's do this. So this yep. mixing of worship, yep. we can see this push and pull yep. throughout the all, all throughout the Hebrew uh, yep. scriptures That's where that happens. It's a good point. Okay, so I have a question for you, Jerry. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> Did Balaam eat the meat that was sacrificed <laughs> to <laughs> Balak's <laughs> God? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, that, I don't think Balaam was a, let's see, I don't think he probably knew enough about the Torah to mount the hill of beans, right? Because so he probably didn't have any idea what was going on. Anyway, interesting, huh? Um, so chapter 23. Oh, well, let's see, before we leave that, it says at the very last, last verse there, 41, the next morning Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth, Baal, and from there he saw part of the people. Now, who's the people? Israel. It's the Israelites, right? And so he took them up a hill. Whenever he says he took him up uh, to Bamoth Baal, I'm not sure where that is, but it must have been up there on that plateau. There's a lot of places on that plateau where you can go to the edge and look off, and there's these, <laughs> these scads of Israelites camped out there in this very precise order, by the way, right? So he's only seeing a part of them. Yep. It's like, this is a whale, but I'm only seeing the, the, the yep. tail end of this thing. Yep. They wrap clear around that hill over there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, would somebody like to read, starting chapter 23, let's just read, uh, let's read up to the point where he gives his oracle, and then we'll come back and read that. So just the first six verses. Would someone like to read the first six verses of chapter 23? And Balaam said to Balak, Build seven slaughter places for me here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. And Balak said to Balaam, And Balaam did as, and did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each slaughter place. Balaam then said to Balak, Stand by your ascending offering and let me go on. It might be that Yahweh does, does come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I shall declare to you. And he went to a bare height. And Elohim came to Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared seven slaughter places, and I have offered on each slaughter place a bull and a ram. And Yahweh put a word in the mouth of Balaam and said, Return to Balak. And this is what you say. And he returned to him and saw him standing by his ascending offering, he and all the heads of Moab. And he took up his proverb and said, Balak. We can, let, let's talk about just what we okay. talked, and then we'll do this because that, that's, you know, they're a little bit separate. 
So, first of all, this was the next day. They went up overlooking a place where they could see a part of the Israelites camped out there. And they built how many altars? Seven. Seven. And they offered a bull and a ram on each one. So that's, that's uh, from the economy of the time, that was a, fair, a fairly big deal, right? Um, but then what does Balaam do in verse 3? He says, stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps Yahweh will come to me to meet with me. And whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. And then he went off to a barren height. So um, maybe Balaam is trying to protect the secrets of the trade. Or maybe he's not sure exactly what's going to happen, which I suspect would be a very smart thing in his part because he probably doesn't have a clue what's going on. So he kind of wanders off all over here by himself. And I don't know, who can imagine what's going on in his heart? But God met with him. And Balaam said, I have prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. And so Yahweh put a message in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and give him this message. And so he went back to him and found him standing beside his offering with all the princes of Moab, and then he gave the message. So in other words, he, he went off by himself, but he comes back, and he basically speaks the words that God gave him. So now we so, can read. Go ahead, John. Where does he say he's sent? He, he says, send him this message. Um, verse 6. 5. Verse 5. Yahweh put a message in Balaam's mouth and said... Okay, it says a word in King James. The reason, I'm, the reason I'm saying that is it, doesn't, it isn't like Melech, like an angel Melech. It's Devar. It's the word. A word. It just Because sometimes ah, you ah, say... I see, okay. It was not messenger, it's like, just, which yeah. could mean like a powerful concept yeah. of a. And whenever you say devar, it can be it, it's not a single word. It can be the word of God, right? Right. What does it say? <laughs> um, it says, it says in um, five. Let's see. Oh, it does say Devar. Okay, never mind. Okay, good. In his mouth, I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad we had well, this diversion. I was, oh, shit. This diversion? Diversion? So he comes back. Uh, Balaam comes back, and he finds Balak standing around with all these princes of Moab, and he opens his mouth, and what's he say? Who wants to read what he said down through verse 10? You can read it, John. Oh, we have a hand up. Then he uttered his oracle and said, From Aram, Balak brought me, <clears throat> Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse one whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce one whom Adonai has not denounced? To 10? Yeah, through 10. Okay. From the rocky peaks I see him. From the heights I behold him. Look, he lives as a nation apart and does not consider himself 
as being like the other nations. Who can count Jacob's dust? Who can number a fourth of Israel? Let my soul die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. Okay. So, some pretty interesting things in there, aren't there? Comment. Big part, yeah. So the King James uses uh, Proverbs, I think, or, or parable, I guess. When what? And the other one says oracle. It's Michal, like. Uh, where Where are you talking about? His oracle. Oracle. Okay. Okay. Is what is what? Virgie's. Uh, yeah, mine says oracle too, but it, mine says parable. It's that's fine. Michal, like a proverb. Yeah, this saying. Saying. No, this. Yeah, this. Yeah. Okay, um, so it says Balak brought me from Aram. Where's Aram? Aram is another word for what? Syria. So Balak brought me from Aram. The Aramaeans, the people that conquered the northern kingdom, those are the Syrians, and they're they're where Syria is today. Okay, uh, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come. Denounce Israel. So this is, this is what Balaam is telling Balak that God said. And then he says, How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce those whom Yahweh has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them, and from the heights I view them. That's where they are, right? Uh, I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. That's pretty much what what she read, although it's a little bit, little bit, little bit different. What verse was that? This is verse nine. Uh, nine. The end of verse nine. I see a people who live apart. That's what that's what it means to be sanctified, right? Right. So I see a people who live apart and who do not consider themselves to be one of the nations. That's true. Certainly at this time, it's true. Yeah. Why though? Why are they not among the nations? Sorry. Well, at this you. time, they never have been. Right. At this particular time. This is when God is making them a nation. So they haven't been one yet. But, and they're having trouble, quite frankly, figuring out whether they want to be. <laughs> Plus, God always set Israel apart from the nations. Yep. They're a separate, na they're a separate yep. entity from all the nations. Yep. It says, who can count That's the dust of enough. Jacob? I'm That's sorry? not a good enough answer. Okay, fine. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number a fourth part of Israel? Where did, what does this dust of Jacob remind you of? Genesis 15? We did Genesis it yesterday. Might have been 15, yeah. It was, it was part of the promise that God made to Abraham, saying your offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the sky or the dust of the seashore or the sand of the seashore or whatever, the dust. So that's what that's, that's referring to. Then this last thing, let me die the death of the righteous, and may my end be like theirs. What does that say? This is Balaam talking. What do you, what do you think he's saying? Yeah, he's saying, if I, you know, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be with them, is what he's saying. Now, this is God speaking through him, but he's basically saying, you know, I think he's telling all of us, <laughs> You ought to want to be with them. <laughs> That's what he's really saying. Instead of trying to curse them. 
Does anybody have some thoughts about that? John. Um, so my answer is, I, I switched chapters again. <laughs> the reason they're not reckoned by like the other nations is what it says in the King James. Okay. And I was trying to figure out what that word was. Um, the difference is he's got a contract with them. He's got a covenant with them. That's why they're different. A okay. legal binding contract. Well, I like that. That's a very good answer. They're the only nation that does. They're the only people that do. So I don't know if reckoned is it. What does yours say? I, where is the word here? Mine uh, says, consider themselves. It says, I see a people who live apart and who do not consider themselves one of the nations. Well, if it's re if reckoned is it a more, or at least... Uh, consider themselves and reckoned seem to be pretty much the same thing. Well, reckoning is almost like an accounting term. Like, I'm an account for Israel different than I count for the nations because I gave, you know, the more, I, the more that's been given, the more is expected of you. So my, 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 my reckoning with you is going to be okay. more, more okay. harsh or more... I, I can see that. What is the... Do you have that word there, Mark? What verse was that? That's... Uh Verse 9, the end of verse 9. Do not consider themselves Reckoned among one the of nations. the nations. Cheshav, okay. Well, anyway, this hardly sounds like a curse. Right? You don't think this is what... Balaam intended? Well, we're going to read the last two verses. I say sarcastically. <laughs> and uh, after, after Balaam gets through saying this, Balak said to Balaam, I'm in verse 11. Okay. It does say it can be like an accountant, but it also says to be considered, to be esteemed, to take into consideration, to think, to intend, to consider, to calculate. Okay. So I can see how both of those would work. Yeah, yeah. So what was your question? I had a thought, but I, I, I lost my, my what, thought. What do you Could you repeat the question you just said, or the thing you just said? I just said, so does this sound like a curse to you? Oh, so we, we were talking about the seas the, in Genesis 15, oh, right? Yeah. Well, in Genesis 12, Yahweh says to Abram when he comes back, when he comes the first time he's, we, we see him in the Bible, I will curse those who curse you and bless those who bless you. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, it's kind of the same thing. It's just like inverted. But we'll get that in just a minute because okay, he says well, almost he, those exact right. words in the next one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. No problem. Uh, in verse 11, this is, you know, Balaam got through, and Balak says to Balaam, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. And Balaam answers, Must I not speak the words that Yahweh puts in my mouth? In other words, he says, I'm only doing what I told you I was going to do. I can't <laughs> speak anything but what the, what the God of the Israelites put in my mouth. And so... Our memorandum of understanding clearly says that. <laughs> and old uh, Balak is none too happy, right? He says, I paid good money to have you down here doing this, and this is, this is the best you can do? That's kind of what he says. Want to go on? You got some more thoughts about that? 
these oracles are interesting to me because you can, you can get a lot of stuff out of them. And especially given where we are and what we know about the history of Israel and all that, it's, they're fascinating. You want to say something, John? Well, just in Genesis 12, it says, I will curse those who curse those and bless those who bless you. And if this is kind of adding to that or putting a different spin on it, uh -huh. that if they go out of their way to try to curse you, it's going to be like a ricochet blessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Okay. So. Well, let's go and look at his second oracle. So Balak says, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. You know, you, I'll assume you weren't off on your, your A game here, so let's, let's give you another chance on this. Yeah, yeah. So verse 13 through 18. Does somebody want to read from verse 13 to 18? Alfonso. Alfonso. I always like to have uh, James Earl Ray speak that. And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from where you see them. You only see the extremity, but not all of them. Curse them for me from there. And he took them to the field of Sophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet over there. And Yahuwah came to Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak and say this. So he went to him and saw him standing by his burnt offering and the heads of Moab with him. And Balak asked him, what did Yahuwah say? Okay, let's, let's talk about that just a minute. Then I'm, I'm going to let you read the, what Yahuwah said. Um, so Balak says, okay, look, I'll give you another try. Right, I'm back up in verse 13. I'll give you another try. Come to another place where you can see them. You only see a part of but not all of them. And from there, curse them for me. So he took him to this place, Pisgah. Does anybody know? Have you heard that before? Yeah. Moses, this is, yeah, this is the place that, I think it's the place that Moses dies. Mm -hmm. um, and there he built, same, same number, seven, seven altars and sacrifices a bull and a ram on each one. And Balaam says to Balak again, uh, okay, you stay here. I'm going to go over there and see if uh, I can meet with God. And so... God meets, meets with Balaam, and he puts a message in his mouth. He goes back and gives Balak this message. So he went back, and the princes and everybody stand around, and they're interested. Okay, so what did he say? Now, you can read what he said. Well, it's deja vu all over again, Well, right? it is, but this one's a little different. But up to this point, it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're in a different place. Let, let Alfonso read it. And he took up his proverb and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear Listen to me, son of Sapor. El is not a man to lie, nor a son of man to repent. Has he said, and he would not do it, or spoken, and would not confirm it? See, I have received to Barak, and he has Barak, and I do not reverse it. He has not looked upon wickedness in Yaakov, nor has he seen trouble in Yisrael. Yahweh his Elohim is with him, and the shout of a Sodom is in him. El who brought them out of Mitzrayim is for them like the horns of a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Yaakov, nor is there any divination against Yisrael. Now it is said to Yaakov and to Yisrael, what has El done? Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It lies not down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balan, do not curse them all nor Barak them at all. And Balaam said, answered and said to Balak, 
have I not spoken to you saying all the Yahweh speaks that I do? Yep, that's good. That's fine. So, um, this message is a little more direct, right? Because uh, the last one was kind of like, well, you know, God's talking about, so here's, here's what the, you know, here's what's going on here. This one, he dresses uh, Balak right in the nose, you know. He basically says, arise, Balak, and listen, you know, listen to me. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He uses the word repent, but this, that's the point, right? I, I'm not lying. I don't lie, and I don't change my mind. Uh, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Have I received a, I have received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot change it. So, basically, what God blesses, God blesses, and he's not going to change his mind. Yeah. So this is kind of my point earlier about the whole thing about reckoning. Mm -hmm. Why are they reckoning? Because they have a contract. Mm -hmm. And Yahweh is not going to go lie against it. Against, yeah, if yeah. he says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you. Yeah. He can't change his mind. Yeah. He's, he's, it's not right. an option. Yeah. He's agreed to can, the contract. Can, can you, right. Yeah. If we don't believe that, then why do you call him God? No kidding. No so, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, and he goes through all these legal terms. I'm going to do all these things that I said I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. All you got to do is just believe me. Right. And hope, <laughs> uphold your duties and responsibilities, Israel, yeah. that you're supposed to do. Yeah. It's not hard. Verse 21, he says, no misfortune is, well, let's let, let me, are there any comments about that little passage there where God kind of describes himself and the way he views this whole thing, John? So we, are, and at Sur Israel, we used to frequently end our Shabbats by singing this song. God is not a man that he should lie, neither son a man that he should repent. Hath he said it, shall he not do it? And hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Shabbat, shalom, Shabbat, shalom, Shabbat, 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 <laughs> Shabbat, Shabbat shalom. That's pretty good. That was yeah. our song. I like that. Yep. I, I, the thing is, is that's, to me, it's one of the more direct uh, statements that God makes, certainly to a non-believer. I shouldn't say non-believer, but a, a non-participant. Well, yeah, because he says, well, here it uses the word deceitful. God is not a man that he should be deceitful. A lie is what mine says, but same idea. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's like he's not going to mess with you. No, he's not here to no. mess with us. Yeah. He speaks pretty clearly one yep. thing or the other. Yep. Starting in verse 21, then he says, No misfortune is seen in Jacob, and no misery observed in Israel. That's a little dubious in my mind, but I think what he's basically saying is that uh, I don't have, um, I don't have uh, evil plans for Israel. I think that's what he's saying, but I'll, any thoughts about that? Lisa has a thought. Don't forget your thought between the time, the, you know. <laughs> it says, this is too, because he perceived no iniquity in Yaakov and saw no perversity in Israel. Yep. So yep. he doesn't see, there's, he, you know, Israel's pure at this point. You know, yep. it's pretty That's, pure. You're right. And, you know, it says his God is with him and the friendship of the king is with him, mm -hmm. is in him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse so, 20, go ahead. Can I beat a dead horse? Yeah, beat the dead horse. So it's not, we're not discussing theology or, you know, whether or not 
Trinitarian. This is a contract. He says, I'm going to do these things. Yeah. That's what he's talking about. It's not complicated. Don't get all this theology yeah. and religion mess up what, what he says he's going to do here. Yeah. That's how I look at it. I agree. It's, it's interesting that um, when they're dealing with other people, there's no iniquity, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. But already internally within Israel, there was already punishment. Yep. The, you know, the, the older people never got to go into yep. the promised land. And, uh, yep. of course, we had uh, countless times when uh, they had to pay and a lot of people died for mm -hmm. the wrongs they did. Yep, yep. I, so I, it was handled, there was things that were handled internally. Yeah, I agree and with I that. Wonder if, I wonder if the other people knew about it, the people around knew about that, or that was a kind of a hush thing that's happening within the family here. <laughs> I, I doubt that they knew too much about it. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I understand your point. I remember yeah. thinking that too. That's why I prefer to, to kind of read that verse as uh, basically God saying, I have, I have good plans for Israel. Right. I mean, Israel can mess up these good plans I have for them, but I have good plans for Israel. Yeah. And he's handling it the way he, he sees yeah. fit. Yeah. That's my business between me and Israel. Yeah, exactly. It's like my rabbi in Casbury used to say, Lisa, we don't say things to the goyim about each other. We only say it to each other. <laughs> we keep, keep our dirty laundry inside we, our house. Yeah, we, keep, okay. we only say it to the family. Okay. So then um, God goes on in verse 22. He says, God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob and no divination against Israel. That ought to hit Balak, right? Or it hurts, right? He's basically saying, you can, you can try all you want here. It's not going to work. <laughs> John? So, another word to look at. King James says, a unicorn. A unicorn? Which I think... Riem is the Hebrew word. Wild ox. I think it's a. I think it's like a, like a uh, rhinoceros. Okay, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of confusion about the different animals and whatnot. I still haven't figured out what a sea cow is. So. And what's it doing in the middle of the desert? Yeah. Um, anyway, it goes on. It says in verse 23. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. The people rise like a lioness, they rouse themselves like a lion. That does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. In other words, to me, he's saying uh, Israel is now going to be in possession of power. You know, they can, they, can, they can now conquer people, as you've just seen with Og and Heshbon and... Sihon, Og and Sihon, yeah. So those are very powerful war words. Yes. And that's the very end of the parable. And then Balak's like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> what is Balak? Then, you know, he says, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. You know what he's basically saying? I'd have been a lot better off if you'd have just shut up. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Yeah. It, uh, you got to admit, this is kind of humorous. 
Any other thoughts? We can go on. There's another one. Right? Might as well finish this up. Um, read from someone who would like to read from verse 27 there at the end of chapter 23 through verse 3 at uh, chapter 24. In other words, it's just a few verses, but it spans the chapter. Go ahead. And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. Peradventure it will please God that you mayest curse me from thence. And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Peor that looketh toward Jeshimon. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams. And Balak... Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And, the, and when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantments. Hmm. But he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he took up his parable and said... Okay, let's, let's stop there for just a second, and then I'll let you read what he said. Uh, first of all, a little bit different. This is the third try, right? And he, uh, he takes him up to the top of Peor, and from there they can see them all. They can see all of Israel out there. And they do the same seven altars with seven bulls and seven rams. And... Uh, when Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel, he did not resort to sorcery as at other times, but turned his face toward the desert. So this is different. The past two times, he said to Balak, let me go off to the side here. And I, you know, he took out his little satchel of magic powder or whatever and said those magic words and got God to talk to him. I don't know what happened. I haven't a clue. But he didn't even do that this time. He just basically stood there. He just... <laughs> see what does it say he says he did not resort to sorcery as at other times but turned his face toward the desert in other words he's looking down at the Israelites and when Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe the spirit of God came upon him and he uttered his oracle in other words he just started speaking God like uh, God and the donkey if you will he just started speaking these words so now you can read what he spoke and he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, how goodly are, the ten are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. As the valleys are, they spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of Lynn Alos, which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out, and his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God hath brought him forth out of Egypt. He, he hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierced them through with arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? 
Blessed is he that blessed thee, and cursed is he that cursed thee. Okay, let's, let's stop for a minute. There's quite a bit in there. Um, this is Balaam just, just talking. He hasn't had a chance to rehearse this or anything, right? Um, mine says, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one who sees clearly. So he's saying he now sees clearly. Um, the oracle of one who hears the words of God. He's heard in these past two times. He's heard the words of God. Who sees a vision from the Almighty. That's Shaddai. Right? Uh, and falls prostrate. And whose eyes are opened. So he's describing himself there. And then, he, then his description is. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. Your dwelling places, O Israel. So this is God speaking through Balaam at what he sees. And it's basically God expressing his, uh, his, his love for Israel. You know, because what's the love, right? They're just a bunch of guys camped out there, in, you know, albeit in a nice order. But he says, how beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, and your dwelling places, O Israel. John? So maybe this is a stretch. Okay. But I've been known to do that. <laughs> so the first time, he only sees this half. Of the of the Israel, right? Then <laughs> he sees this half, yep. and now he sees the whole them thing. Cut. Yeah. Ah. So it's the the two halves brought together. So we 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 two housers see it everywhere, this, don't we? You can't not yeah. see it, right? <laughs> yep, yep. I like that. Um, then he goes on to describe what their dwelling place will be like. You know, the valleys, like valleys, they spread out like gardens beside a river, the aloes planted by Yahweh, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets, and their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag, and their kingdoms will be exalted. Now that was a weird one. That got me going. Um, does anybody know who Agag is? Or was? Didn't they just take him out? Or is that Og? That was Og. Agag. Yeah, Agag is a, this, this thing is a little bit surprising to me because it kind of, I don't really understand why it's there. But go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Mm -hmm. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now 1 Samuel chapter 15 is um, Saul is the king of Israel at this time. So they've had the period of the judges and Saul is the first king, you know, they, the Israelites wanted a king like all the nations around them had, and God said, no, you don't, and he said, yeah, we do, so they gave him Saul, and Saul has not been the world's best king, um, so I'm going to read here, if that's okay, starting in, I might as well give you some background, so we'll start in first of chapter 15, um, first Samuel chapter 15, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one Yahweh sent to anoint you king over his people. Israel. So listen now to the message from Yahweh. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Do you remember that? Remember we read about the Amalekites having attacked the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt? Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them to a tent. I'm sorry, to, to Laam. 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. And then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. 
for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. So that's the other reference to Agag. And it turns out if you keep reading that God was real upset with Saul for not following his instructions. Because Saul, or God very clearly told him to destroy everything. And he decided, well these sheep and stuff over here are really too good to be destroyed. So he didn't destroy them. In any case, I don't know what you mean by that. Genesis 12.3? I don't think so. Anyway, this is the reference to Agag that, that I found. Now the only problem with that, I mean it references the Amalekites and we know that the Amalekites were always a thorn in the side of the uh, Israelites and this was the time that the Amalekites were supposed to be destroyed. And they weren't. But uh, so if we go back to where we were, it says their king will be greater than Agag and their kingdom will be exalted. Uh, maybe that has something to do with it, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. It does seem strange, yeah. Just a little trivia. Yep. The name Agag means I will overtop or be the highest I of will. high. So he's saying he'll be higher than the highest. Okay. I like that actually a lot better than trying to translate this as Agag. So I'm, I'm going to remember that. Yeah. John? So another stretch based on my previous stretch. Okay. <laughs> so maybe he, the, he's, he's prophesying about the United Kingdom of Israel well, in, this, in fact, isn't that what, he, what, what Samuel is? That's, after the, that's the uh -huh. first time they're reunited, yeah. the 12 tribes yeah. before That's David. the first time they're, they're a nation under a king. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Could so be. they take out the yeah, Amalekites. That, that kind of fits. I'll give you that. You know, in terms of, the longer we're talking about trivial, do you remember in the uh, story of Esther? Yeah. What is it? Haman? Haman? Haman is the villain. Do you remember Was what he, they call Haman? An Amalekite? An Agagite. Oh, really? So He was an Aggie? An Aggie. He was, theoretically, ostensibly, it could be that he's a, an off, offspring of this guy. Anyway. What's that? Who's the man that was allowed to live that birthed Haman? Who's what? Who's the man that was allowed to live? Yeah, the man, who, who is Haman's father? Wasn't he to be... He was to be destroyed, and he wasn't, and he birthed Haman. Am I not remembering that correctly? I don't remember. Um, I don't know. That was not in the story of Esther, is it? I'm going to have to go back and look now okay. and see where okay. I... It may be. I, I don't recall. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was an Amalekite. Okay, well, you know, another thing... Uh, that, yes. you know, there's so a, Agag is an Amalekite. Well, that's, yeah, Agag was an Amalekite, too. The, um, there's two things that I'd say about all of this. First thing is, I like her answer about the fact that Agag can be translated as 
as the top king, because basically that's what then the, then the sentence would read, the passage would read, their king will be greater than the top king. So in other words, the Israelites will be on top, if you will. So I like that. That makes sense. The other thing is, it's not at all unusual to have different important people in the Bible have the same names and not be at all related. So I don't know if I want to go too far with all of that. It's just that we've got to talk about it. It's there, you know. Lisa? Yeah, that's what John was saying. It could be a prophecy. Okay. So it goes on. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. This unicorn thing again. <laughs> they devour hostile nations. So this is basically um, God saying, I'm making Israel into a, a strong power. Yeah. Yeah. And it has exactly the words that you were looking for, John, in uh, the last half of verse 9. It says, may those who bless you be blessed, and may those who curse you be cursed. So that's right out of Genesis chapter 12. Yep. Yep. Pretty cool, huh? Um, we're almost finished. We might as well finish up with old Balaam here, but I thought this would probably take all night. I really like this story. Okay. Um, would someone like to read, let's see, from 10 to 14, 10 through 14, and then we'll do the rest of it there. Then the displeasure of Balak burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. <laughs> <laughs> Balak then said to Balaam, I summon you to curse my enemies, and see, you have kept on blessing these three times, and now flee to your place. I said I would greatly esteem you, and see, Yahweh has kept you back from esteem. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent me, saying, if Balak should give me this house filled with silver and gold, I am unable to go beyond the word of Yahuwah to do either good or evil of my own heart. What Yahuwah speaks, that I speak. And now, see I am going to my people. Come, let me advise you what this people is going to do to your people in the latter days. Okay. Uh, do you want, let, me, let, let me just, you can hold the microphone for a minute. Balak had had enough. He says, this is three times. You've done nothing but Bless these people. Get out of here. I'm not paying you squat. <laughs> and Balak says, or Balaam says, well, I told you. I could only say what God said. And he says, you know, too bad. And, and then he says, okay, fine. But before I leave, why don't you let me go ahead and tell you the rest of what God says? <laughs> John, you got something? Just a quick point. Yeah. So how is truth established by two or three? Yep. So three times? Three times. Good point. So if you want to read from verse 15 through the end, then we'll go back and talk about that, the end of the chapter. And he took up his proverb and said, The saying of Balan, son of Beor, and the saying of the man whose eyes are open, the saying of him who hears the words of El and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of El Shaddai, who falls down with eyes open wide. I sound like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I see him, but now... I observe him, but not near. A star shall come out of Yaakov, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and shall destroy the sons of Sheth. 
and Edom shall be a possession, and Seor shall be a possession. Enemies and Israel is doing mightily. And a ruler shall come from Jacob and destroy the remnant from Ar. And he looked at Emelech, and he took up his proverb and said, Emelech was the first among the nations, but his latter end is to perish forever. He then looked on the Canaanites, and he took up his proverb and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is placed in the rock. But Cain is burned, till when does assure keep you captive? And he took his proverb and said, O who lives when El does this? And ships shall come from the coast of Katim, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek, and the also perishes. And Balaam arose and left and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Balaam heads out, but he leaves these last little words. Um, some of these are obviously what they call messianic references. Like uh, in verse uh, 17, where he says, uh, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. 19. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And he will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Now all those areas, let's see. Edom and Seir, Seir is commonly thought of as Petra, and Edom is a little bit bigger, and it contains that. So that's typically what that means. Moab, we already know where Moab is, that's where he is now. The sons of Sheth, I'm not too sure about. But I think what he's basically saying is, in the future, Israel's going to have all of this. You know, he's going he's to take all of this. It also says this... Uh, a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel. You can think of two ways that this is prophetic, can't you? What verse is that? Um, 17, yeah. Well, I think of Genesis 49 about Judah. The scepter shall not pass. Yep, that's perfect. That's perfect. But it doesn't... And this is kind of my whole theory about what, that, what, he's, what Jacob is prophesying about over his son Judah... That didn't happen that day or the next day. Nope. Right? Yep. This is, it hasn't even happened yet. Nope. Who's That's, Judah? He's just another yep, guy, you yep, know? Yep, You're exactly right. So it doesn't start until Saul or David, however you want to look at it. Yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, I, I, one of the things that, that stands out to me is all of this could apply, could fit the Messiah, but it could also fit David. And, well, of course, but, conveniently, the Jews think it fits David. Right? And that, 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 nothing wrong with that. But, There's a lot of places where prophecy does that. Yeah, it's both. Well, in, but in 49, it says, a scepter like this, a scepter shall come out of, will, will, will not pass from the feet of Judah yep. until Shiloh comes. Yep. So implying when that's done, this whole idea, I look at it as meaning this whole idea of having the a king like the nations is gone. It terminates. Okay. So it's back to the what Yahweh intended the way Israel it, to be, to be sovereign priests. Okay. I, I don't have a problem with that. That's the nature of prophecies, right? Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, he basically pronounces, and he, I think this whole idea of, I see him but not now, I behold him but not near, is saying, 
this is a long ways down the road. That, that's what that says to me. Um, and it is. It was. You know, it's really fun to look at this and realize that when it was written, um, they didn't have any idea what was going to happen. Yeah, isn't Yahweh looking 700 years down the road or more yeah, than that? Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah, exactly. If I'm not mistaken, I read a number of years ago that this is one of the passages along with what John mentioned and along with Micah 5, 2, is why when the star appeared over Bethlehem is how, why they knew the Messiah was there to go and look. And Micah 5, 2 talks about Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. Yep. So these are, even though they may seem kind of obscure to us, those that were watching for this sign over Bethlehem knew what knew, this knew indicated to which it of referred. Messiah. Yes. Yep, yep, that's very good. That's good. Was that Micah? Mm -hmm. okay. Micah 5.2. And the, the final, final oracles deal with Amalek and the Kenites. And I don't know too much here. It says, finally Amalek will be totally destroyed. Um, but it wasn't with Saul. <laughs> um, the Kenites, the Kenites are dwelling places secure. Your nest is set in a rock. Yet you Kenites will be destroyed when Ashur takes you captive. Ashur is Syria, Assyria. And so the Assyrians, the, you know, they, when they came down and wiped out the northern kingdom, they, they went all the way down through the eastern side of the Jordan River Valley as well. And I have no specific knowledge, but I'm willing to bet that that's what that's referring to. Yeah. So at this time when this hap is happening, who is the leader of the tribe of Judah. I don't know. I, I, Caleb the Canaanite. Oh, yes. That's exactly right. Right. And yeah. they're talking about... The Kenite, yeah. They're talking about the scepter, or, or the referencing, could be easily referencing back to Genesis 49, which talks about yep. Judah and the scepter. I don't know. Yep. Just kind of no, I, I did realize that the Kenite, whenever they talk about Caleb, he is a Kenite. Okay. Let's see. It goes on and says, And who can live when God does this? Ships will come from the shores of Katim, and they will subdue Ashur and Eber, but they too will come to ruin. Now that can be almost anybody. Katim is Cyprus. Um, Ashur is Assyria. Eber is uh, essentially Israel. It's, you know, the Eretz Israel. So that could be the Romans. You know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Here comes the mic. Here comes the mic. I mean, who exactly is Assyria? That might sound like a stupid question, but I mean, because I always hear Assyria, and then people debate on who Assyria is a lot of times. Well, Assyria is a group of people, it's a civilization, if you will, right. that grew out of the people that lived in Syria and north of Syria. That's what I thought. And they were very warlike, and they were pretty, right. pretty unpleasant people to be dominated by. Well, and actually, it was the it was the house of Israel that kind of meshed with them. Well, no, they conquered or, them. They, 
they, Assyrians the conquered Assyrians them. conquered them. And That's then about I mean. less than a hundred years later, the Assyrians fell to the Babylonians. Right. And you can read about all of that. And so the Assyrian Empire just, you know, Nineveh was captured by all this messing around with damming up the Tigris River and everything so that uh, they could sneak in the bottom. You remember? It's a great story. Uh, yeah. That's how the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. And that happened between the conquest of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But, we'll, but that's another day. This has been a fun evening. I've enjoyed this. I hope you have. Um, Can I just say one? Yes, you may. <laughs> I liked his last verse. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. It's like, I got nothing to say anyway. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> It says, yeah. Well, we're not completely through with That's Balaam. True. I want to talk about him next week. But yeah. One of the passages that always have puzzled me, speaking about Assyrian, mm -hmm. is it talks a couple of times in the scriptures about the Antichrist being Assyrian. And so in Isaiah 52, verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there, then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. And I'm, I'm just, I can't find the answer. Is he referring to Pharaoh as the Assyrian? Or is there another group of people that came and oppressed them while they were in Egypt? Because he's saying that the Assyrian oppressed them. Hmm. That's interesting. I vaguely remember Nehemiah Gordon talking about that. Is that almost like the, the, the Aramean? Like, uh, well, the, the, uh, Syria, Syria and Aram are the same thing. But Ashur is a little bit, it's not, it, one contains no, know, the but, other. But there's a verse that talks about, oh well. We, gotta, we, we have some history we have to, holes in our history. Homework. Yeah, homework. I would love for you to put together some kind of a little cheat sheet for me because you can rattle on all these names of uh, this is this and this is this and I, I, I try to make notes but I you would be wonderful if when you have time in your spare time in life all right, if you actually, could put some kind of cheat sheet together that I could put with my study materials that is alphabetical so I can yeah. remember what's what some of those names like the those nations you know are uh, they're uh, I put, the reason I happen to kind of remember them is I put them in the Genesis book because, you know, after the Tower of Babel and it talks about the 70 nations, and I, I did the same thing you did, and I went and kind of researched a bunch of them out, and after doing this, I kind of remembered a lot of them, but yeah, I'll do that. So Micah 5, 5 talks about the Assyrian invading the land, so this one will be our peace when the Assyrian invades our land. Okay. The Assyrian, yeah. Yeah. Okay, like I say, I think if it's okay, we'll be done here. I would invite you to go home, think about this, and then look up. There's other stuff here. See if you can find out what happens to Balaam, and see if you can look at the other references to Balaam. He's mentioned several times in the Brit Hadashah, and see if you can understand, you know, when uh, in Revelation, for example, when... Um, God is talking to the different churches, and he talks about one of them, I forgot which one, and he says, you have those in your body who uh, adhere to the teaching of Balaam, and go figure out what that means, and just kind of make sure you have a good concept of what this whole Balaam thing is all about, because 
I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting. Are there any other thoughts or comments? Okay, let me close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the evening. I thank you for the excitement, actually, for me anyway, of uh, looking at your word. And uh, you're so perfect. The, the things that you teach us are so uh, right. Help us to just uh, assimilate them into our hearts and realize, God, that you do have everything under control, that you are, you are in charge of all of this. And sometimes, even though it doesn't seem like it, it's true. Help us to be obedient. Help us to listen for you. And uh, just take care of us, Father God, until we meet together again. In Yahushua's name, amen. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jerry.